is a place to be sensitive to the Spirit. And today the Lord, the Lord wants to touch lives. So when I share what I've got from Jesus for you this morning, there'll be some of you who won't understand everything I say, but you'll feel it. In uh, the place where I'm from, in Lancashire, we have a saying, it's better felt than telt. It's a great question. It means, I can't really explain, told. told. I like the way you're interacting with me, thank you. And preachers need this, you see, because quite often we just talk waffle and most people go away and say, great word, preacher, and they don't have any life-changing moments. <laughs> it means that um, I can't explain it to you. You have to experience it. So some of you will experience the moving of the Spirit in this moment now. The Holy Spirit will start, you'll feel a churning of your emotions and start teaching the Word of God. And it will resonate with you. And you might not get it up here, some of you will, but it will stir your heart and you'll want it. And so right now, before I begin teaching the Word of God, I'm going to say in the end, I'm going to pray for people, particularly people with emotional brokenness. You know, the Bible says he'll satisfy your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed. And God is going to renew some people today. Do you believe that? Yeah. I love what our sister said about believing when she was speaking out. And God is going to do some good things today. I really believe that. I'm going to read um, from Luke 4 in a minute. Let me remind you, it's Palm Sunday, a week before Easter Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, we read of Jesus riding to fulfill the words of Zechariah, lowly on a donkey. A king coming to war with people would come on a horse. A king coming in humility and in peace would come on a donkey. And the story I'm going to read to you today is not Palm Sunday based, but it's the same humble-hearted servant king who comes in with peace, with the shalom of God to restore a broken world. Shalom in the Hebrew is peace, wealth, health, prosperity, wholeness is the best descriptor of it in the English language. God wants to make you whole. Do you believe that? God wants to make you whole. God is, I love there's a title of a preacher that I'd love to tell you his name, but you'd judge the comment. This is how the church is. He's one of, one of my favorite preachers, but I'll hold the name from you so you don't miss the quality of what he says. He wrote a book. <laughs> You'll Google it when you go home. God is good, it's called, the book. And then the subtitle, I love it. It's, he's better than you think. And I want to say to you, God is much better than you think. We've heard today about Hesed and that covenant faithfulness of God and his love for you. His consistent love for you. His unflappable, unshakable, sustaining love. This rock, our God, that we need day by day. And it's time to build your life on the rock, which is Jesus. Let's look at him in Luke chapter 4. The title of my message is Oaks of Righteousness, which is where we'll land at the end. By the grace of God, unless the Spirit really starts moving as I'm teaching. Because this is for some people today. I was wanting to teach from 1 Corinthians again, but the Lord gave me this for you. So Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 13. And the title of the uh, NIV translation is Jesus Rejected at Nazareth. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. 
He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue and so was its custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it. Can you imagine Jesus doing this? Joining him with the ritual of the way they did worship. It's lovely this. I love this moment. Unrolling it. He found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the captives and the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled the scroll up and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. I love the way he works within the constraints of religion, even our Lord. Did you notice that? We're so hung up about the way that a church should be run and it's not this way and we're used to this. Our Lord just submitted to the way that it was run there when he went into the place. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All who spoke, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked Jesus said to them, surely you'll quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And you'll tell me, do here in your hometown what, you've heard, what we heard that you've done in, in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I, assured you, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there, was a min, there, was a, there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people of the synagogue were furious when they heard this. See how Jesus is tackling what he knows going on in the head and the hearts, and they get angry with him. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill which the town was built on in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. I love that throwaway sentence. Like He's just like, yep, not today, lads, I'm off. So I, just love, I would just love a video of that moment. They're going to kill him. It's a crowd. There's not much likelihood one man against a crowd can stop. And Jesus is like, no, not, not today, guys. <laughs> you can imagine the crowd parting for the Son of God who's totally in control in the moment. I love that bit. But the overarching theme of that passage is anointing is often rejected and opposed. Anointing is often rejected and opposed. Even Jesus faced rejection and opposition for his anointing. The people of Nazareth sought to kill Jesus. If you missed it, that's what they were trying to do. They were going to kill him. <laughs> Dustin, who was with us the other day from Renewed Faith, his brother's a pastor in America, and the church that he ministered don't like him that much. They said that God would, would kill him for staying as their pastor. <laughs> I've not quite had that yet. That's serious rejection. But this is what happens when someone comes with an anointing to take things forward. This happened to Jesus. It's even happening in our world. These would-be killers started to fail when they saw the man and missed the anointing. It's very easy to see the man and miss the anointing. Isn't this Joseph's son? Nazareth missed out on a great blessing because they were not sensitive to the Holy Spirit working amongst them and were unaware of God's great plan in Jesus Christ, the anointed servant. Now let's be clear, they should have been aware. 
Isaiah, amongst many other Old Testament prophets, had given them plenty of prophetic warnings, at least five servant songs that talk about this chosen and anointed servant of the Most High God, suffering, bringing a covenant to them, and a servant's life that would save them in a time of quote-unquote favour. So even when Jesus in their midst announces this is that time. I mean, he's not, he's not unclear. It's not, it's not unequivocal. He's like, this, this is that. I'm, I'm, I'm this. The script, this is me. It's been fulfilled in your hearing right now. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He personalizes it. And even then, they miss the anointing on the life. They see the man and not the anointing. Isn't this Joseph's son? They were confused. They saw with the eyes of the flesh, not by the spirit as Peter did when he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, Peter, but my father in heaven. They missed it. They were seen with human eyes. What a tragedy. If only they'd stopped to consider what this anointed servant had brought amongst them. Here's the point, guys. Listen to me. It held the prospect of heaven on earth. Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer, pray as in heaven so also on earth. You've got to hear this principle I'm teaching you now because this will determine whether West Horton sees the breakthrough revival that God has for it. I, I felt in the word, like I, I, I felt it so strong over here in the, in the song earlier. I nearly came and kicked your table over. I think that would have offended people. So I restrained my prophetic unction. But I feel the Lord is going to kick some tables over here. Not that you're turning the church into a marketplace, but I think there's going to be holy disruption that brings about a move of the Spirit. I think there's going to be some, some, some level of people going, oh, I don't like this. What's this? This isn't the way I do church. And they may just miss it, even amongst the hearing of this. Be careful now, those who want to move of the Spirit. Are you hearing me, church? It's all gone quiet problem is you've got a pastor who is open to the spirit it's a real problem that isn't it it can become very very dangerous sometimes he turns up and he does stuff that only God can do he held the prospect for heaven on earth we reject the anointing when we see the man I, I heard of a great leader from the charismatic renewal who died recently saw the tributes of his life on Facebook and social media in different places. A great outpouring of love and respect for this man's ministry. Had a powerful evangelism and healing anointing. However, I was reading it and I was a man marred by the experience of this man living in my home temporarily. When he stayed and ministered at my church when I was a teenager. 25 years ago. No, 30 years ago, my goodness. Maybe more, 30 odd years ago. Wow. So decades of faithful ministry flowed out of that experience of seeing this person in my home. And he continued to serve. But every night at my dad's house, he would leave and go for a walk. A walk. And I knew that cigarettes were bad for your health and the only reason the Lord didn't want him smoking was because he loved him. But it was the fact that he said he was going for a walk, not for a smoke. The only reason he was going out was for a smoke. He purposely held the name back, guys. 
so you don't fall on this. But my point is the hand of the Lord was on that man. With all his idiosyncratic weaknesses and brokenness. And the problem is, if you get close to any person with an anointing, like me with this man, you will be disappointed. You will not be impressed. Because we all have feet of clay. Who are you, man or woman, who judge? None of us are divine like Jesus. And even Jesus was rejected, not for immorality, but because they saw the man and rejected the anointing. But our problem is we have a double problem. We not only see the man or the woman, we see the idiosyncratic weaknesses on their life, and we reject them because they're not perfect. And we forget that God doesn't use any perfect people apart from his own son, Jesus. So all the Lord has to use in this world are broken lives. To men, broken lives. Isn't that really quite ironic? But beautiful? You see, we all have feet of clay, but the Lord has made it quite clear that there are treasure troves made of clay. The Bible says, we, but we have this treasure in... Come on, church. Some of you have read the Bible. Treasure in jars of clay. So the excellence of the power might obviously come from God and not from men. Isn't that the design of the Lord? If we were perfect like Jesus, somebody should worship us. Hello. But the fact that God uses broken lives means that anyone is useful under the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it good to know the Lord wants to set his hand on you today and take your life and use it for his glory? Isn't it beautiful? Hallelujah! What a saviour! I'm glad the Lord's more gracious than the church. Remember, here's here's an important phrase. I'm going to say this. Some of you need to really tune in now. Remember, to the degree that you honour a person's anointing and call on their life is the degree to which the gifting and anointing can flow in your midst. I'm going to say that again. It's that important. The degree to which you honour a person's anointing and call in your midst is the degree to which the gifting and anointing can flow in your midst. I give you and I submit to you Judge and members of the jury, Matthew, sorry, Mark chapter 6, verse 5. It says, Jesus in Nazareth, a similar portion to what we just read in Luke, could do not many miracles amongst them, save lay his hands only on a few sick people and heal them because of their attitude to Jesus. I find it mysterious and helpful. God, Jesus Christ, could not do, he could not do many supernatural things in Nazareth because of their openness to the Lord on his, well, he is the Lord, but you know what I mean, the anointing on his life. We have to be open to the anointing. It's a tragedy for the people of Nazareth that they missed out on that which carried 
on the shoulders of Jesus would have changed their life. So let's consider what these people of Nazareth missed out on, on that day we read about in Luke 4. In addition, and there's a second thing here, let us also consider that the anointing is still available today. As mercifully, we're still in, hello, this is good, in case you're getting bored, the year of God's favour, which Jesus said was to be fulfilled at his appearing and will roll out beyond his appearing through the church. I call this year of favour the age of the Spirit. Because there was a shift that happens when Jesus came and died on a cross. Do you know the cross brought a change? I hope you don't know that. The cross of Jesus brought a change. In John 14, 17, Jesus says, The Holy Spirit is with you guys, but he will be in you. Para and N in the Greek. Para is with you now. He's all around. He's an omnipresent God. And he will be in you. In you. A shift. He's prophesying a shift at the cross. That at the cross when Jesus died and it is finished, in came the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to dwell in and on us as it did on Jesus. That's why Paul said to the Galatians in Galatians 3, 1 and 2, Oh, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you that you should stop obeying the truth? Before your eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to ask you one thing. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the believing what you heard, i.e. about the gospel and the cross? The Galatians would have gone, oh yeah, you preached the cross, Spirit came. Oh yeah. Because the Judaizers, the Jewish people coming into that church were saying, you've got to be worthy of the Spirit by your performance. You've got to measure up. You've got to be all Jewish. And Paul's saying, hold on a minute. The Spirit came at the point of the cross being preached. What am I talking about? Why am I saying this about Galatians? We were in Luke a minute ago. I'm saying this because when Jesus said the Holy Spirit is with you but will be in you, he is predicting a shift of ages that happened at the cross. He's predicting a change for the world. And why am I saying this? Because the people of Nazareth missed out on what's on him. And we could miss out what's on him now to the, for the church by not understanding the gateway to his presence. We'll come into that in a minute again. So what are the two things that I want to understand as we shift on? What did the people of Nazareth miss out on? In that reading of the scroll. And number two... I want you to remember these things are still available today in this year of favour, the age of the Spirit. Can I read for you the scroll that Jesus read from? I don't have a scroll today. I'd love to be that prepared as a preacher. Some people would do that. I, I really want a life. <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a computer. <laughs> PowerPoint. PowerPoint. You should be my PA. You're great, aren't you? <laughs> the Spirit... Of the Sovereign Lord is on me, Isaiah, Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 4, we're reading now. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Everyone say, on me. <laughs> because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to pro proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. 
They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the, the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities. <laughs> I just love this. I'm sorry, but I'm just having a bit of... <laughs> yum, yum. The words, yum, yum. Sorry, that's really deeply spiritual. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. This prophetic on this, guys. You've got to hear this word today that I've got for you. Some of you, it's going to affect your life. So in that passage, verses 1 to 4 of Isaiah 61, there are three things within the passage. Number one, it says the Spirit's on God's chosen servant. Verse 1. And then it goes into about six or seven infinitives. What do I mean by that? It's when you have the word to, T-O, followed by a verb. In other words, let me read it to you in case that confuses you with grammar. It says, spirits on Jesus, or the anointed servant in Isaiah's case that predicts the coming of Jesus, to proclaim good news, to proclaim freedom to the captives. Do you hear it begins with two? These are the infinitives I'm talking about. To, pro- to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, to comfort all who mourn, Provide for those who grieve in Zion, to be on the beautiful ashes, and so on and so forth. These are the things that Jesus and the anointed servant came to bring. So the Spirit's on him for these things. Two, 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 two. Yeah? The next bit is the third portion of those four verses. It says what will be the consequences of the anointed. They will be called oaks of righteousness. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will renew, renew the ruined cities. Can I ask you a question which is a massive spoiler for where, where we're going to land this at the end? Who are they? Disciples. Amen. It's all... You're good. Come on, girl. You get, you get in with Jesus. Your life is going to be changed by Jesus. And you're going to be forever different by the grace of God. Hallelujah. Jesus is the Lord. He wants to touch your life. And and more today. I'm going to pray for you at the end. They are the people that the anointing of Jesus touches, either through the ministry of Jesus or the ministry of the church. They are the ones who God is pulling in to mend what is broken. We'll get to that. Reading this passage, let's go through a few things. Number one, this is God's chosen servant, the Messiah, that Isaiah is talking about. If you miss this point, if you miss who Jesus Christ is, you will see none of this restoration that I'm about to teach you about. If you miss who Jesus is, you cannot receive the Holy Spirit and all his glorious works. Say that again, sweetheart. You have to listen, otherwise you lose out. Absolutely. Jesus Christ is the gateway to the presence of the Lord. He said, I am the gate. You cannot sever the spirit and the cross. There's a guy called Gordon Fee and a guy called F.F. Bruce, and they wrote about these things. This sense of the cross and the spirit being at one in the dynamics of the way they work. That through the cross, the spirit came, and the spirit reveals the power of the cross to us. There's this togetherness. But no cross of Jesus, no spirit of God. We've got to understand that when Jesus died, he became a gate to us. His flesh was a veil. He said, I am the gate in John's gospel. He opened a door to us to the experience of God. He pardoned your sin when he bled on Calvary's hill. 
I love it in Colossians where it says the handwriting of the requirements of the law have been dealt with in Christ. My words at the end there. Nailed to the cross. It's like, you are, I mean, imagine all the worst, no, no, don't spend too long, you'll get depressed. Imagine all the worst things you've done. Not too long, I want you to be smiling at the end of this. Get them on a shopping list, whack them under the arms of Jesus. This is what it pictures. And his blood pours from his hands, obscuring and covering all of your failures and removing them as he died and said it is finished. This is our Jesus. Isn't God good? The handwriting of the requirements of the law that were against us. In other words, we failed God, couldn't make it with God, couldn't get close to God, and his blood paved the way for us to be intimate with the divine. The spirit can then come in and usher into the temples of our bodies and fill us with light from heaven, his very presence. And life, not just light. The Bible says his spirit will give life to our mortal bodies as he dwells in us. Come on, just whisper in your breath. Father, I believe that Jesus died on a cross for me. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Why don't we ask for what Jesus has told us to ask for? In Luke 11. Ask for the Spirit. Go on then, church. God will give that good gift to you. Jesus has already said it. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Is Isaiah's writing, which Jesus quoted about himself. This Sovereign Lord... In Isaiah's writing, this Yahweh is pictured in a kingly manner whose spirit is on Jesus as the Exodus God who saves his people and executes vengeance on his enemies. Do you see that in the same appearing of Messiah, there is both salvation and vengeance all in one go. He is both saviour and judge, sovereign saviour and judge. And we see that in the phrase Sovereign Lord. But this Sovereign Lord, this King Messiah that is coming to save, rescue, heal and deliver, but also to bring judgment, is the truth. Because Jesus said this world already stands condemned. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already. His appearing brought a polarisation of the world. You're either in or you're out. You're saved or you're not. You belong to Christ or you don't. You're in the kingdom of heaven, or you're in the kingdom of darkness. You're a sheep, or you're a goat. God wants you on the right side of the line. There's no middle ground. There's no arguing with Jesus on the gate. You're either saved or you're not. Let me ask you this question. Do you know you're saved today? If you don't, you need to get right with God. Repent of your sin and surrender your life to Jesus. Today's the day. Amen? Because God loves you. And it's his kindness that leads you to repentance. Hallelujah. On this sense of the Spirit being on Jesus, it echoes Isaiah 42, where Isaiah in a different servant song says this, Here is my servant, we know that's Jesus, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my Spirit on him. And what will he do when the Spirit's on him? He will bring justice. To the nations. This Messiah King, Jesus, is God's chosen servant. Number two, this anointed servant brings good news and justice in brackets. Good news and justice. To proclaim good news to the poor is what Isaiah says. 
When, when you hear this phrase proclaiming good news elsewhere in Isaiah's writing in chapter 40, it says, you who bring good news to Zion, go up to the high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Here's the phrase again. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. Here's the next bit. His reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. I.e., this saviour full of good news is both saviour and judge. He's the dividing line. He's the stone of stumbling. He's the rock of offence. He's the one you're either in or you're out. He doesn't leave anyone in the middle ground. There isn't any philosopher that can say, Jesus, I'm sorry, but I found another way. Jesus said, I am the way. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And he comes, it says, it's good news for the poor. When we study the Hebrew of that, the idea of the poor is the downtrodden, the disadvantaged, those held back from progress or improvement by people or by circumstances. Now, I'm going to tell you something that is deeply unspiritual now. I was sat there while kick myself off. While my son was enjoying the spiritual moment of binging on the Chosen series in another room, his dad, the pastor, was binging on Jeremy Clarkson's The Farm. <laughs> now, Jeremy Clarkson has a potty mouth, but I enjoyed seeing the farming. And, uh, and it's just a whole new world, seeing how they do farming and stuff. But I was watching, Lewis came in, and I was watching it, and they had this cooperative of farmers who were going to provide their food for Jeremy's restaurant that he was coming up with. And they started to tell stories about how their pig farm couldn't sell any pigs because European farms had undercut them. And the potatoes were failing, and the lamb this, and the beef that. And, and as I started to listen, and then I got, then they got onto the dairy farmers. She'd lost half of her herd through bovine TB. And told Jeremy for 10 years, her and her husband had not taken a salary. She said, if we had, it would have failed 10 years ago. And Jeremy Clarkson makes this throwaway comment, what other sector of society, what other industry, what other place would have that level of challenge and severity in the workplace to people's income? And you can see around the table of these cooperative of very hardworking farmers, and farmers, men and women, broken, By the world we live in and the injustice, what Amos calls dishonest scales. God hates that stuff. He's a God of righteousness and justice. And I'm there starting to cry. I'm watching Jeremy Clarkson's on the farm. So I'm sorry, Lewis, I don't know why I'm crying. I'm watching these people and I'm weeping for them and I'm feeling something of God's heart for the poor. Something of God's heart for injustice. Something for God's heart for the brokenness of society where God wants people to flourish. God wants people to prosper. God wants people to come into a place of wholeness on every level. Isn't it beautiful that our God cares about every facet of your life? Now you have some preachers who preach this truth and they try and get stuff in their back pocket. So I'll give you a prosperity prayer cloth if you give me 100 quid donation on my, on my line. That's not what we're talking about. But they are right by saying if you give you'll be blessed. They are right in saying that God wants to prosper you. That's not unscriptural. It's a God whose heart loves you. Think about it, possibly for one microsecond. God loves you. 
Just let that go in a minute. He loves you. To the bones, let it go in, let it seep in. God loves you. And he doesn't just love you when you're performing well. He loves you. And he wants a relationship with you that fixes everything. Am I okay to preach like this? This is like, this is burning in me today. You see, there's lots of talk on the, on the internet about a great reset. People are afraid of Agenda 2030 and all this nonsense. The World Economic Forum. Listen, a great, and I don't deny that, that's not conspiracy, that's actually coming. <laughs> the great reset is coming. Agenda 2030 has been decided at Davos. They've made this, and who makes this without unelected power? It's coming. It's something that they've decided, governments of the world. But there is a great reset coming on that final day where Jesus will restore all order to his creation he'll make a new heaven and a new earth and he looks at people who make their petty little ideas at davos and elsewhere all these people power, power mongers who have authority in this life and saying why do the people plot vain things he said he who in he- sits in heaven just laughs because god is going to do a great reset beyond the great reset that will make everything new he'll restore lives like you've never seen before the people that you see suffering in this world, like the Lazarus in the rich man and Lazarus story that Jesus told, who was there with the dogs licking his wounds on the street corner, God is going to put them on a high place in the future realm, where they're going to be restored. Do you remember that story? God is going to mend broken lives completely. As yet, we do not see all things made anew. One day, God will make everything new. Can you be filled with hope today? That's not just some preacher's idea. That's in the Bible. God's going to fix this broken world. He'll make a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Isn't that exciting? Just, just a little bit of a newsflash. You're not going to be playing harp on a cloud. You have a body. You're going to eat. You're going to have friendships. You're going to enjoy the presence of the Lord. There'll be no sin. There'll be no sickness. There'll be no pain. There'll be no disease. God is going to make all things new. Isn't it wonderful? That's why when we pass through this world... Jesus said, you're pilgrims, you're passing through. Don't lay up treasures on earth. We all do it. And yet Jesus has told us otherwise. Build treasure in heaven. The people that break me most are the people who've given the most. Like when I'm with them and you think, I'm just not even fit, fit to, eat, to eat at the table with you. I just don't, I'm a, you know, because people read, oh, you, you're, I've sat with people who have no title position and they're better people, better Christians than me regularly. Quiet prayers, big givers, faithful with suffering in the physical body. These are, these are the people that will be honoured in heaven. Pastors won't be at the front of the queue, trust me. Do we believe that? This is the truth. God sees everything. The Bible says man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. Am I okay to preach the truth? <laughs> I'll keep going, otherwise I'm not going to get through my material. The servant king is about resetting society from all injustices. He uses the church for this now sometimes. He also uses other things, to be honest. Who continue Christ's work on the earth, but he will fully rest and reset this world when he makes all things new. Number three. So he's not only the king and the Messiah. He's not only the one who brings good news and justice. He's also the king who brings healing and freedom. I'm going to go quickly through this because it's very easy to grasp. When you say that he binds up, the word bind up or bandage is another way it can be expressed, is the idea of giving personal attention, soothing, healing and restoring to wholeness. 
Isn't that our Jesus? Do you need this today? Do you need the Lord to heal anything today? Open your heart and believe the Lord is able. When it says that he would heal and bind up, one of the things it expresses is he would bind up the brokenhearted. The word heart is so versatile a word that it can mean brokenness in any sector of heart's condition and human experience. But in this context, church, it means healing and restoring to wholeness because of the brokenness that sin caused. Let me explain that. Let me explain, explain it with a question. Have you ever wept over your sins? Have you ever wept privately with the Lord when you realize how much you let him down? I have. And did you, I'll leave this rhetorically hanging in the space, did you experience a, re- a restoration of intimacy with the Lord on the back of weeping over your sin? I, I know that the Lord cleanses through tears. I remember William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, a couple of struggling Salvation officers wrote to William Booth and said, we're struggling to get breakthrough in this area. And William Booth wrote them a terse reply and he said there's two words, try tears. Tears are the thing that break through. And when we've got sin in our life, the Lord hears sin confessed with tears. Do you know the scripture that says God is near to those who are brokenhearted and contrite in spirit? It is always the experience. If you're suffering emotionally as well, by the way, it doesn't have to be sin. The Bible says God will be near to you in your brokenness. He, want, he has compassion on you. He's not against you because of your sin. He's with you, fighting against you, your sins. Is this good news? So brokenhearted people, whether because of sin, theirs or others against them, are on God's radar is the summary. He's moved with compassion for the broken. And he proclaims freedom to the captives. Just moving quickly through this. Freedom to those who are captive. The idea of freedom is linked to the language of Leviticus, the jubilee year of freedom from debts. And there are no bigger debts than our sins against one another and against the world. And sins leave us in a debtor's prison. Jesus taught that, didn't he? He said we need to forgive others, otherwise we'll be turned over to the jailers. It leaves you in a place of emotional turmoil until forgiveness is applied and we receive God's forgiveness for ourselves. The idea of captives who are recovered to see again is a picture of people being brought into a bright new world out of, let's for example say solitary confinement. Have you ever seen that in a movie where they drag someone out of prison that's been on their own out of a hole and then they come into the world like a mole and have to recover their sight? This is the picture of Jesus rescuing people from their captivity. I've seen that with, particularly with people who are struggling with the demonic. They just become like a different person on the other side of it. I'm racing to the end. I know I've been preaching a while. And I do want to get on to the important bit. This anointed servant Jesus brought a year and a day. It's the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God. Isaiah, predict, Isaiah predicted a time of favour for Israel where even the Gentiles would be magnetized towards Israel. Why is this? Well, it says in Isaiah 49, elsewhere from our passage, this is what the Lord says, at just the right time. Can you just say that, just the right time? I will respond to you on the day of salvation. I will help you. I will protect you. And here we go. And give you to the people. In other words, I'll give Jesus to the people as my covenant with them. 
So a person is going to be given to the people as a covenant with them. Though you, through you, another personalised comment, I will re-establish the land of Israel and assign it to its own people again. Now why are Gentiles going to come in? Because Jesus will be given to the people according to Isaiah. Elsewhere in the Old Testament it says Jesus is the desire of all nations. It, listen, let me just make a point because I can see people are flagging it. If you don't desire Jesus, you haven't seen him. Jesus wants to be wanted, and when we want him, we'll find him. Can I just make a side point? John the Baptist didn't understand this coming kingdom. John the Baptist in Matthew 3, he's put in prison himself, John, probably in a darkened place. He says, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect another? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. John the Baptist is having his theology corrected by the Saviour because John, if you remember, said, someone is coming whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to untie. He's amongst you, he's about to appear and his winnowing fork is in his hand and he's going to burn the, wi- the chaff with unquenchable fire. Can you imagine that moment? fire and brimstone preacher and then he's like but he's not done it yet here's the point Isaiah speaks of a year of favour and a day of vengeance Peter says in 2nd Peter that God's not slow in keeping his promise that day is coming but the Lord's will is that none would perish but all would come to repentance and be saved through the ministry of Jesus here's the encouraging word we're still in that year We're still in that year of favour, but let me say this, church. I think that year's coming to close rapidly. I think we're in very, very dangerous times to be a believer. I think it will get worse in the years to come. And we're being tested before the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So thank the Lord we're in the year and not the day. Finally, he wants to comfort all who mourn to provide for them beauty for ashes, oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. The word mourning here covers all sadness of life, if you think of the Hebrew. But Isaiah 57, elsewhere, is the thought flow to where we are in Isaiah 61. Makes mourning over sin the primary thought in our passage that Jesus quoted. Let me read you Isaiah 57, because this is beautiful, right? particularly for the people who are struggling with their own brokenness over their failure in life. Isaiah writes, I have seen, and this is God's perspective on your life, I have seen what they do, Isaiah 57 verse 18, I have seen what they do, but I will heal them anyway. I will lead them. I will comfort those who mourn. Isn't it encouraging that the Lord through Isaiah said, I see your failings, but I will still heal you in spite of your sins what a saviour now for those of you who mourn over your sins those of you who grieve for your failings you'll find mercy and transformation occurs I'm going to land it on the oaks of righteousness now from the rugged tree of Christ's cross to the oak trees of righteousness that God wants to to restore to to strength to grow and to flourish this is what he says over the life who understands that from the tree comes a tree 
That when we understand, when we, we, we go to the cross, that my sin was... but was paid in full. I love the scriptures that are under there. I am now in a place where from the tree I can become a tree. An oak of righteousness. And you can personalize this to say I will be called an oak of righteousness. The planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. I will renew the ruined cities. Think big church. That have been devastated for generations. Let me just say this. It says this word called. A new name equals a new character and destiny. It says they shall be called. By whom? By the Lord. They shall be called oaks of righteousness. Whenever the Lord gives something a new label... It gives it a new destiny. He wants to say over some people's lives who are self-rejected in this room, I have called you an oak of righteousness. Why do you beat yourself up when you look in the mirror? Somebody's going to be benefiting from that, even if some people want to go. I have called you an oak of righteousness. I planted you. Kath read that from Psalm 1. And so if the Lord establishes you with a new name, an oak of righteousness, he gives you a new destiny because he's given you a new name and a new nature, he will also give you this sense of him planting you. Now what is it that the Lord doing the planting matters? Because if the Lord plants you, he's going to plant you well, like the river in Psalm 1. He's going to supply for you And these restored oaks, elsewhere in Isaiah, Isaiah says are to bring him glory. As your people, Isaiah 60, 21 says, they will possess the land forever. I will plant them there with my own hands. Why do you plant them, Lord? What is your purpose in planting oaks of righteousness? Why are you doing this, Lord? Isaiah 60, verse 21. In order to bring myself glory. So these oaks will rebuild and renew long-standing inherited brokenness in society. There's people in this room today, you're going to have to say no. I'm coming to a land. That's all I've got left to do that much, so don't worry. Some of you are going to have to say no. You, you are the full stop in your generational line that is going to say no more. Will this repeating cycle of abuse continue? No longer will this repeating cycle of addiction continue. No longer will this repeating cycle of a bad temper continue. Oh, well, my dad had one and now I've got one. No! By the grace of God, you can rise up above your brokenness and be changed by the Lord. And you can not only change yourself individually, these oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified, are going to not only be changed themselves, they're going to change their towns and cities. It says that in the word that we read. They're going to just see the desolations of former generations and start grieving over it with the Lord. And they're going to set their hands to the plough and fix what is broken, one life at a time. God is going to do that through some of you in this room. I was, I'll tell you this story to close. I was in, um, where did I have my shoulder repaired? <laughs> North, 
near Ulverston, high enough. I dislocated on an inflatable obstacle course. Barrow Infinesse. I was in Barrow Infinesse. This is an important point. And I'm walking around Barrow Infinesse, and I'm starting to cry, just starting to cry. And Lewis, a bit younger, says, what's the matter with Daddy? Oh, no, he must just be hearing from the Lord, Rachel said. I was feeling the Lord's heart for that town. I was burdened for Barrow, and I was just wanting to plant a church there like I am in every town and city. I got home that night, and on the news, it said Barrow was in the top five drug-addicted towns in the UK. I passed churches that had been changed into pole dancing clubs. I passed people that I knew they needed the Lord. Let's just put it like that. And I just started to cry. Why am I saying this story? Because God walks the streets of your town. Like you did yesterday. And as he moves around the town. Yes. As he moves around the town. In Roger and others. And himself as well. His presence. As he moves about the houses. He knows about the pain in every door. Even in this room today. We started there. We'll finish there. He knows about everybody's pain in this room. And he really cares. And he wants to fix your brokenness. He wants to minister hope to you. He wants to restore the lost years. And he wants to repair broken lives. If you've heard the word of the Lord through what I've shared this morning, can you just stand please? And some of you are going to need to be prayed for. You're going to want to be prayed for. Paul, can you lead us in worship? Jonathan, I, Rachel, will we'll pray for you. If you need physical healing, we can pray for that as well. If you need to give your life to Christ, we can do that today. It's the most important thing, actually. If you're struggling in any other way, emotionally, financially, or in any other way, let us pray for you, and let us try and help you spiritually and practically. I'm just going to do a very simple prayer and invite the Holy Spirit to move in the midst of his people, and some of you are going to be touched by God now. Father, I pray... In the name of Jesus, that you would do what only you can do. That you would move in this meeting now, on the back of the teaching of your word. And that you would start to mend broken lives. That they might be the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. I pray that wherever there's need for a repair job, you would do it. Lord, we cover the healing power of Jesus. But we also cover the restoration of all things, Lord. And we ask you, Lord, to minister hope. Lord, those people that are feeling so desolate on the inside because their life seems like a canvas of hopelessness. Father, you want to repair that that lady one piece at a time. And the Lord says over you, and this speaks to someone who's really concerned about their life. The Lord says there are better days ahead for you. I bring you out of this into a new, new landscape. Amen.